Hey, and welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. We are in a series on the book of Revelation where we are seeking what God's word says to us as the church right now. Each week of the series, we will go through large portions of scripture. So if you go to scottshill.org slash revelation, you will be provided a reader's guide to keep you on track with the passages from each week's sermon. We hope this series blesses you as we look forward to the imminent return of Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill. So glad all of you are here this morning in person. Those of you who are watching us online, we're so grateful that you're able to join us. I want to give a shout out to a lady who watches us week in and week out. She's from Garner, North Carolina. Miss Faye, I want to give out a shout out to you and say hello to you. Would everybody here just say hello, Miss Faye? Yeah, I want to welcome you here. And if you don't have a church home, we want to encourage you to come and join with us. If you're watching us online from the comfort of your couch or sofa, maybe an RV, wherever it is that you may be, I want to encourage you to come and join us and fellowship with us together. For those of you who are here, my name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor, and I've been here for, well, going on 28 years now. It's been a continued a great joy of uh, being a, to, a part of a great faith family. Those of you who are first, second time guests, so glad to have you here this morning. You're going to be blessed by being here. We're starting a new series today that we're calling Revelation. And it's on the book of Revelation. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to jump right in. So go ahead and take your copies of scripture or your devices or your phones. If you have a Bible app and go and locate the book of Revelation, we're going to go chapter one, verses one through eight. Now, before we jump into that, as you're turning there, I just want to set the stage of what we're going to be doing for the next 12 weeks to kind of give you a game plan. We've been talking about doing this study for several weeks now, and I got to I got to be honest with you. I'm a little bit nervous about this. I'm nervous about this, not because of the content of the book. I'm nervous about it because of all the different views that people have about the book. And any serious student of God's word must understand his audience. And in this, I understand that there are a number of different people that make up this congregation today and those who are watching us online. When it comes to the book of Revelation, some people are skeptical about it. They look at it as mostly a fairy tale. And as they read through the pages of this, this really difficult book to understand, they're like, who can believe that stuff? It sounds like a fairy tale. It sounds like something that is really made up. So there are always skeptics among us as we look at a book such as this. But then there are those who are sensationalistic when they come to a book like this. They look at all the symbols and they look at all the different images that are found in the book and they try to come up with all kinds of ideas. You know, the locust is a really an Apache helicopter, you know, is the mark of the beast, the vaccine, because, you know, the vaccine, man, the government wants you to take the vaccine. You know, there's a little chip in there. They're going to trace your whereabouts. So maybe the vaccine's the mark of the beast. Listen, if you're worried about the government knowing you are, get rid of your iPhone. Come on. Get rid of your iPads. They already know where you are. Have a conversation with someone today on with your phone nearby and talk about some Cole Han shoes. I guarantee you, you will have ads popping up on your Instagram. They know where you are. So the, the, the mark of the beast is not the vaccine, okay? So people are, are in this sensationalistic view of looking at all these things, and they're getting it wrong. So they're not only those who are skeptical, those who are sensationalistic, But there are many people who are speculative. They read through the book trying to figure out everything. When is Jesus coming back? 
Okay, we already know he says he's coming as a thief in the night, and every person who's ever predicted it has always been what? Wrong. They've been wrong. And so we try to spend our time looking at that. Well, well, who is the Antichrist? 666, whose name is that? Ever since Hitler, people have been ascribing someone to be the Antichrist. So we spend our time speculating. Who is Gog? Who's Magog? Why is the United States not featured in any major prophecies in the book of Revelation? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't study. I'm not saying that we shouldn't look deeper into those things. We can But in our speculation, we can lose sight of the real focus and the meaning of the book of Revelation. So there are people who are very uh, um, speculative in that. Then there are people who are just scared. Just, I mean, even look at the bump we just played. Little kids are covering their ears. They're like, oh, no, the trumpets. And, and people get afraid of the book of Revelation. I remember when I was first saved back in 19-something, and, uh, and it was in 1977, I gave my life to Christ. And I remember when the first thing that happened is a youth group had a film that they were showing. Now, back in the 70s, the dress was really odd. I mean, just cut off blue jeans with the pockets that were longer than the cutoffs, you know, and the, and the tank tops and all the things like that. Well, there was a movie about the rapture. I mean, I was scared to death. I was watching this thing. I was afraid of it. This guy's mowing the grass. Next thing you know, the lawnmower's there and he's gone. And I'm like, wow. And then there was the thing that scared me the most about it. All these people were being raptured, but there were people left and their dogs were left with them. But there were no cats. I thought, Lord, no, you are not rapturing cats and go to. Oh, for you cat lovers, you'll be happy to know that. Somebody told me, Phil, your job in heaven is you're going to take care of all the cats for eternity. That'd be more like hell. So let me just. But yeah, I got an amen on that one. But anyway, so, so people approach it and they're very scared about it. And so when people are looking at all these different views about the book of Revelation, it's no wonder people are so confused. This book has been hijacked over the years and people are so confused. But what we want to do in this study is just really look at what this book is about. What does it mean? And what is God saying to us today, 2,000 years later? Now, I have to tell you, somebody has asked me the question, Phil, why now? Of all the times that you've been here, why are you preaching on the book of Revelation now? Is it that the elders and the pastor sees that something's coming that we need to see? Yeah, I'd say that's true. Can you, can you say that it's because the world is just going crazy? Yes, increasingly becoming more immoral. Is it because of things like what yesterday, the remembrance of 9-11, 20 years later, and we see the evil depravity of humanity? Yes, it is. But it's much deeper than that. We're studying it because it's scripture, number one. We're studying it because it's the word of God. And we want to understand the fullness of the gospel. And so we're jumping into the book of Revelation because it has so much to say to us now. And a lot of times when people look at the book of Revelation, they're looking at those futuristic unrealities. But it's really speaking to us right now where we are. So we want to jump into that. Plus, anytime we get into the Word of God, there's always a blessing for it. Now, how are we going to approach this study? Through the history of the church, there have been four approaches when it comes to the book of Revelation. How do we interpret the book of Revelation? So what I want to give you this morning, just four simple approaches. 
You need to understand this because you need to understand where we're coming from when we're going to interpret the book of Revelation. And, and the four approaches are this. Number one is called the, the preterist view. The preterist view simply says that the events in the book of Revelation apply to those seven churches only. It is about the persecution that they are going through. It's a historical narrative of what they experience, and it's only for them. Well, if you take this view, the downside of that is the book of Revelation is no good for us. It really has no meaning for us. If it only is of the seven churches in the book of Revelation, then it doesn't impact the church today 2,000 years later. So it may be good for them, but it's not helpful to us. The second is the historicist view, which says, no, it is a view for the future generations. Everything in this book is only for those generations to come in the future, and it will impact them. Well, if that's the case, it's no good to the people who are receiving the letter. It's not good for them, but it may be good for us. And it's actually cruel to them saying, hey, listen, I know you're going through a difficult time, but 3,000 years from now, man, it's going to be better. It's not what it is. So the historicist view doesn't work. The idealist view is a view that is just simply principles and ideas written in a certain genre in a poetic fashion. That's good for nobody. It's not good for them. It's not good for us. It doesn't serve anybody well. So the last view is the view that we will take, the futurist view. The futurist view says it is not only relevant today, but it is also for all generations to come. And so when we look at the book of Revelation, as we interpret this book today, and as we begin, we're looking at it from a futurist view. Here's one thing we have to remember about all scripture. The book of Revelation cannot mean to us what it did not mean to the recipients of this letter. It cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. The tendency for us today is always to try to read into scripture in our contemporary world. But it has to mean to us what it meant to them. So what did it mean to them? And this is what we're going to investigate and see how the truth of God's word goes across all cultures and eras of time. Now, whenever we look at this futuristic view, there are four views that have arrived, that have worked its way out of this over the centuries. And these are four millennial views. And people like to get caught into these millennial views. Now, the millennial view comes from Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, where it talks about Jesus reigning on earth for a thousand years. And out of that, there have been four specific views. I'm going to share with you these four views very quickly, but we're not going to camp out on any of these. As a matter of fact, we're not going to talk about them again after today. And I'll explain why. So I want to give you the four views the first is what's known as the dispensational premillennialism. Big words, right? But the dispensational means these are series of times. And the people that fall into this category believe these things, that you have the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament that comes about after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And it's kind of like a parenthesis in time. The kingdom is kind of on halt. But then what's going to happen is the church will be raptured, caught up in the air. And it's the secret coming of Jesus. The church will be raptured. Then there will be seven years of tribulation. 
And then the church and Jesus will come back. That's the second coming. There will be a thousand year millennial reign with Christ. And then at the end of that will be the destruction, judgment, and the resurrection of the unsaved. These are dispensationalists is what they're known as. And this is a very popular view in a lot of Baptist churches and a lot of churches around the United States. So it's the rapture first, seven years of tribulation, come back with Jesus, millennium, and then we all take into heaven. The second view is called a historic premillennialism. It's a little bit like that in the sense that this, we, we, that we are in the initial phase of the kingdom. The, per, the tribulation will happen. And at the end of the tribulation, the church is raptured, then immediately comes back. And there's a millennial reign of a thousand years. And then we come to the end of all events. Then there's the amillennial view. The amillennial view says we're right now in the tribulation period. And the church has been in a tribulation period since its inception. And we're going through it, and the millennial is not necessarily a literal thousand-year reign. But at the end of that, Jesus will come back, get his bride, take us with him, and then the return is all in one instance. The rapture and the return together, and we go with him forever. Then there's a the post-millennial view. The post-millennial view just doesn't believe in a millennium at all. It believes that we are living in a time where things are just going to get better and the gospel will proceed to all the nations. And then what will happen is many Jews will come to faith in Christ. And then at the end of that, Jesus will return and take us with him. And so these are the four views. Somebody asked me, Phil, what view does the church prescribe to? We don't hold any one specific view. Here's why. Within this congregation, there are people who hold all of these views. There are dispensationalists here this morning who believe that we're not going to go through the tribulation time. We'll be raptured before the tribulation, and then Jesus will come back, and then we'll be a thousand years with him. There are historical premillennialists, such as myself, who believe that you're going to be raptured and return at the end of the tribulation period. There are all millennials, such as sometimes myself, that you believe maybe the, it's, a, it's a, not a literal thousand-year reign, but we're going to return with Jesus. And then there are the post-millennials who just are just happy because they think everything's going to get better. Now, you can always detect them because the, the, the dispensationalists have all their charts, all their graphs, and a smile on their face because they're thinking, hey, I'm not going through the tribulation. The historical premillennialists are saying, you know what, I'm gearing up for the tribulation, but I sure hope those dispensationalists are right. I don't want to go through that. And then you get to all millennials who say, hey, we're in it. We're in it. I'm just excited. And as Jesus comes back and the post-millennialism, they're just walking around clueless most of the time and just hoping. Now, here's the thing. Why do we not settle on any one of these? Here's why. We cannot allow secondary issues to distract us or divide us, but we must keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? <laughs> Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And you might hold to one of these different positions, or you might want to study. That's fine. You study. You understand. But the truth is this. We cannot divide fellowship with one another because we might not be in the same camp. But the reality is we know he's coming back. People ask me all the time, what are you, Phil? I say, I'm a pan millennialist. 
What's that? I believe that when the father says, go get your bride, it'll all pan out. <laughs> and he is coming back. So we're not going to talk about these millennial views from this point on. We just need to understand that he's coming back and whatever camp you find yourself in, you study and you understand the reality that these things can not divide us and we won't let them. Okay? One other thing. As we jump into the study today, you will be given a guide online. Go to scottshill.org backslash revelation. You will have a reader's guide every week for you to read through. We're going to cover large chunks of scripture at a time. And because we're going to do that, then what we want to do is be able to say, it's your responsibility to read, to keep up. We'll provide the outlines. Version Bible app, you can go on there, click on the bottom more, hit events, and you hit Scotts Hill Baptist Church, and on your phone will be the full outline every single week of everything that we're covering. So now, with all that said, let's jump in. You ready? Yes. Chapter one. Some people are thinking, I wish you would, I thought you would never start. <laughs> Chapter one, beginning in verse one, the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty." As we jump into this book, I want to show you this morning seven essential things that we have to understand if we're going to understand this book. And it begins in those verse eight verses. And so the rest of our time, I'm going to lay out these seven things. Some of them we're going to spend a little bit more time on than others, but we're going to work through this and help us to understand how significant is this book for us. So you ready? Here's the first thing we need to understand. Revelation is a revealing book. It is a revealing book. Here's how it begins. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now notice, it is singular. It's not the revelations of Jesus Christ. And so the book is not revelations. People say that all the time. It's revelation. So if you're used to saying revelations, just scrap that S off of there. It is the revelation. The word in the Greek is apocalypsis. It's the only time that the word revelation appears in the book. And the word apocalypsis means this, to unveil. 
to make known what was previously not known, to reveal certain truths. So when you read in the book of Daniel, he's told to seal up the prophecy. In this book, John is told to open the prophecy because God is about to reveal to us a number of truths that we need to know. So it is an unveiling, it is a revealing of spiritual truth. Now, the first thing it reveals is the Lord Jesus himself. It is the revelation of Jesus, from Jesus, and about Jesus. The central character of the book of Revelation is Jesus Christ, the glorified, risen Savior. He is the hero of the book. Everything about this book is centered on him. Listen carefully. The book of Revelation is not about Satan. It is not about the Antichrist. It is not about the false prophet. It is not the world governments. It is not the demonic forces. It is not the tribulation. We get off track. Every time you and I read this book, we need to be reminded that it is about our living, reigning king of kings who ultimately has victory over every single thing. That's the centerpiece of the book. And if you lose sight of that, you lose sight of the main and the central character is the Lord Jesus. So he is the centerpiece of all of the book. It is also a book of prophecy. And a prophecy does two things. It foretells and it foretells. It foretells by predicting events that will come, but it also foretells by speaking. All the prophets of the Old Testament foretold what was coming, but they all begin the same way. Thus says the Lord. And so while there are some prophecies that are going to be foretold in the book, the main emphasis is what God says in the book. So it's about him. We need to remember that. Another thing that we need to understand about this kind of prophecy is that there's no linear line of a chronological approach in the book of Revelation. When you read the book of Acts, as we did that study, we can find the chronological line of where they moved through and how the gospel was spread from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You get none of that in the book of Revelation. It is all over the place. There's a window here. There's a door here. There's a voice here. There's not a chronological study. You can't walk through it in a chronological way. When we get to Revelation chapter 12, chapter 12 is about the birth of Jesus, which was 90 years before that recording. And then after that, it is a view of what happened in eternity past. So you can't follow a chronological way through it. We're just going to have to listen to what is said and what is happening in this book. The other thing that we recognize about this book is it's filled with symbolism. Filled with symbolism. Some of the symbolism, we are told what it means. Some of the symbolism comes from Old Testament understanding. Some of the symbolism, nobody knows what it is. And so we have to understand that with the symbolism, we, we have to, to, to study carefully and pay attention to all of those things. But here's the greatest thing about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation anchors us in the present to help us to see future things that are unknown. Okay? It anchors us in the present so we can see these unrevealed things in the future. But let me tell you, it's not about just the future. 
Here's the thing that God wants us to see. God wants us to see unseen realities in the present. This is so important. When we read the book of Revelation, we're always thinking about, oh, these are the things that, the, that Satan will do. These are the things that the demons are going to do. They're not going to do anything different than they're already doing today. And here's what we do. We look to that, but we don't look to the, the, the unseen realities in our own world. Ladies and gentlemen, we're living in a spiritual warfare today. It's not going to just happen years later. It is now. And here's the thing. If we don't recognize the reality that we're living in a spiritual warfare and that there is an enemy of our souls, Satan, who wants to distract us and deceive us and destroy us, then you know what we'll do? We'll blame other people for that. Why is my life miserable? It's because of my spouse. My spouse is making life miserable. My children are making life miserable. I'm struggling because of my boss. I'm struggling because of my job. I'm struggling because of the government. I'm struggling because of this. If you put the blame on everybody else and everybody else becomes the enemy of your life. And when we get to the book of Revelation, God is saying, no, 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 no. There are unseen realities right now. And the enemy is working all around you. And if you don't understand spiritual warfare, then when you get to a difficult place, then you're going to blame everybody else for your failure rather than recognizing there's an enemy that's against the work of Christ. It's a revealing book. And God wants to reveal to us where we are anchored today, right now. But here's the second thing. Not only is it a revealing book, Revelation is a relevant book. It is so relevant for us. It was written 2,000 years ago, but it applies to us today. John's recording, and he says, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. Listen, the book of Revelation was very relevant to the seven churches in Asia Minor. They were going through incredible persecution. This book was written about 95, 96 AD. And these believers had never known times in their life where they were not persecuted. They were always persecuted. When the church began after the resurrection of Jesus in the day of Pentecost, the church began to flourish and grow. It began to grow in Jerusalem. It began to spread to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts ends that the gospel was being preached unhindered. But then comes Nero, who was the emperor of Rome, who despised Christianity. He would take Christians, he would burn them alive as torches for his garden parties. He was a very wicked man, and of that man in Rome was putting to death many, many believers. And in 68 AD, he killed the top three leaders of the Christian movement. He executed the Apostle Paul, he executed Peter, and he executed James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. That would be like the government today taking out John Piper, taking out John MacArthur, taking out David Jeremiah, and executing them in the streets. That's what began to happen under Nero's rule. Then this other one, Vespasian, comes in, and what does he do? He destroys Jerusalem in 70 AD and continues the persecution of Christians. Then the last one to come in, as he comes in there, Domitian is the emperor when this is written. Domitian is demanding people to worship him as God. 
And if they do not worship him, they were executed immediately. He is the one who exiled the apostle John to the island of Patmos. And that's where he writes and sees this vision. Here's the point. It was very relevant for them. And what was the point of the book? To be bold, to walk obediently, to walk faithfully, and to be men and women of great courage because the persecution is going to be real. And this is a book that's calling them to get in the fight and to stay in the fight. And no matter what the culture throws to us, no matter what is happening around us, the charge for every believer is the same. That we're called to be in the fight. And we're to stay in the fight all the way to the end. And regardless of what is demanded of us, we walk in faithfulness, we walk in obedience, and we walk with absolute courage, even if it means taking a bullet for the Lord Jesus. That's the relevancy of this letter to that church. And those churches did well. Now I want to say that we live in a culture today where I hear people all the time talking about persecution. We don't know what persecution is in America. We don't know. I had somebody say to me during this whole COVID event and everything that we're being persecuted because we got to wear a mask. Are you kidding me? We got to get persecuted because they're wanting us to have a vaccine. Listen, those may be violations of our civil liberties, and I believe they are. They may be violation of maybe even some of our religious liberties, but they are not persecution. That is not persecution. You want to know what persecution is? Ask the believers in Afghanistan today who are being killed. You don't hear this on the media. I just got a report last week of an entire house church that was executed by the Taliban. Men, women, teenagers, college students, children. Because not one person in that house church denied the name of Jesus, and every single one has been ushered into his presence. It's relevant. And it's relevant for you and me because I believe a tsunami of persecution is going to be coming to our country. And I'm going to tell you this. If you wait until persecution comes to make up your mind what you're going to do, you're already caved. And so this book is a reminder it is relevant. It is relevant to walk faithful, to walk obediently. It is relevant for us to stand to our last breath for the glory of Christ. Number three. Revelation is a divinely recorded book. It is a divinely recorded book. It is not just some made-up fantasy from an old man who's exiled on an island. This is divinely recorded. The Holy Spirit is the one who instructed John to write. He made it known by sending his angel to his servants, John. Who he bore, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This is the apostle John. This is the brother of James. This is one of the disciples that we're talking about. This is the apostle John who was in the inner circle of the Lord Jesus. Peter, James, and John. Of the 120, Jesus had 12. Of the 12, he had three. But of the three, he had one, John. And John was the one that Jesus loved means that he had his heart. And John understood the heartbeat of his master and his savior. So he's writing this in 95, 96 AD. 
Now, John is the one who wrote the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Revelation. And we see a common thread through all of these. In the gospel, he says, believe. In the epistles, he says, be sure. And in the book of Revelation, he says, be ready. And so he's the one writing. This was a tough guy. They tried to execute him for his belief. They threw him in a vat of boiling oil, and he survived. And then what did they do? They exiled him on Patmos. When he died, he was buried in Ephesus. There's a tomb today that says John the Elder. What's interesting is James, his brother, was the first one to be killed as a disciple. And then we see that John is the last to die as a disciple. And so God used this man. It was written by a normal, ordinary person who was sold out for Jesus Christ. Here's the fourth thing we see. Revelation is a rewarding book. It is a rewarding book. There are so many blessings from reading this book. Notice how he says it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Two times in this passage, it speaks of a blessing. Blessed are those who read this book aloud. Let me say this. It is always a blessing to read all scripture aloud. There's something significant about reading the word of God aloud. We verbalize it, we speak it, and we are able to hear it ourselves as we read it. It also has great power over demonic forces as we read the Word of God out loud. Here's what we're going to ask you to do. During this whole series and as you have your reading time, we're going to encourage you to read the book out loud. We're going to encourage you to read it to your families. If you gather as a family, somebody read it out loud as we do our reading. If you're by yourself, read it out loud. And so we can participate in getting the blessings that God has from reading his word. But it's not just a blessing from reading. It's a blessing from hearing and obeying. Blessed are those who hear and obey. I want to tell you something. The devil is never afraid of people who just read the word of God. He's not afraid of that. But he is afraid of people who read the word of God, believe the word of God, and live the word of God. And so we're called to do that. And as we do that, there are blessings. But there are blessings anytime we read any of God's word. So my encouragement to you is to read it out loud. But here's the fifth thing. Revelation is a received book. It is received, it is given, and it is received. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... John is writing this letter to the seven churches in Asia. Now, why just seven? There were a lot more than seven churches. But these seven churches, John had some connection with. In fact, he was instrumental in the founding of the church in Ephesus, and he was one of the elders in the church of Ephesus. So he is writing these letters that Jesus is dictating to him to the seven churches. In two weeks, we're going to look at that, those letters to the seven churches and see the significance of that. But until then, he is writing to them. Let me just say this. The book of Revelation is a letter. It is a letter to the churches in Asia. The book of Revelation is not written to you and me. It's written to the churches in Asia, but it is written for you and me. And it is as valuable to us as it was to the early churches. And so it is a book that is to be received. 
And when the Lord Jesus gives us a gift, what do we do? We receive the gift. We use the gift. And God has given us the book of Revelation, so we want to receive it. We want to read it. We want to study it. We want to be changed by it. We want to be encouraged by it. So it's a book to be received. So receive the Word of God. Now, here's the last thing. Revelation is a reassuring book. It's very reassuring. And when you read verses 4 through 8, we'll see how reassuring it is. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend the last of our time right here. And I want to show you why the book of Revelation is so reassuring. When we read it, we should be so encouraged. We should be strengthened. There should be a certain boldness that flows out of us when we understand the reassuring nature of the book of Revelation. He goes on, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is so reassuring about that? Let me give you four reassuring things that we get from the book of Revelation. Number one, the Father is perfect in his person. He introduces us to the Trinity at this point. He begins with the Father, and the Father is perfect. He says, grace to you and peace from him. That's in reference to the Father. Grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And our Heavenly Father is perfect in his personhood. There's not a thing imperfect about him. And because he is a sovereign, omnipotent king who is eternal and he will, has always existed and he will always exist, we can trust him for anything and all things. It doesn't matter what our culture brings to us. It doesn't matter what our government says. It doesn't matter what the brokenness of the world. We can trust him because he is absolutely in charge of all things. And there's nothing ever outside of his grasp. He is perfect in his person. And so when I read this and I don't understand it, I don't need to know all the details of it. But I know this, that my father is perfect. In his sovereignty, there's nothing he does not know. In his wisdom, there's no mistake he ever makes. And in his love, I'm always right in his standing as a child of God. The Father is perfect in his person. But the second thing is this. The Spirit is perfect in his presence. This Holy Spirit of God is perfect in his presence. He puts it in a very strange and interesting way. He says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. What are the seven spirits? There's been a lot of debate about that. Are those specific angels who are before the Lord, the, the Lord Jesus who have a special ministry of ministering to the Lord Jesus? Or are these maybe seven spirits that maybe the Jewish rabbis often held, which was they were angelic beings? When you look at the context of this, he's speaking about the Father after this, he speaks about the Son. It's only natural to know that he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. 
And in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, he mentions the sevenfoldness of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Revelation, numbers are important. You see the number seven constantly through the book of Revelation. And the picture is of perfection and completeness. The Holy Spirit is not mentioned by way of Holy Spirit, but only Spirit all through the book of Revelation. So this is a reference to the perfect ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his children. And so he is perfect in his presence. And here's the point, that he is always with us. And no matter what difficulties, no matter what pain, no matter what struggles, no matter what hardships, no matter what persecution, he will never leave us. And his presence is always perfect. So we find the perfectness of the Father in his person. We see that the Spirit is perfect in his presence. But here's the third thing. The Son is perfect in his provision. And all through the book of Revelation, here's what we find. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We see that Jesus is the faithful witness. He, we see that he is the firstborn, the preeminent one of all beings. He's the ruler of all kings and lords. But here's what we see, that he loves us. We can be reassured because Jesus loves us. That's present active um, imperative, which simply um, present active sense, which means this, that there's never a time he doesn't love us. Jesus keeps on loving us. When I'm bold or when I'm weak, he loves me. When I'm successful, when I'm a failure, he loves me. When I'm obedient or I'm unfaithful, he loves me. And the truth is this, if you're in Christ, there's never a time he does not love you. And what a reassuring truth in a world of brokenness in our own lives would struggle. There's never a moment where the Lord Jesus doesn't set his love on us because he died for us. It is a shedding of his blood that he cannot deny his love for you and me. But not only does he love us, he says that it was by his blood he freed us. He frees us. What does he free us from? He frees us from sin. And I like to say it this way, that Jesus freed us from the penalty of sin, which is justification. He is freeing us from the power of sin, which is sanctification. And he will free us from the presence of sin, which is glorification. So between justification and glorification is the grueling process that we call sanctification where he's constantly making us more like Jesus. And on the cross, through his blood, he provides the freedom that we need. But not only that, he's made us a kingdom. He's made us priest. We are a community. We are a family that walks together it's one thing that Jesus gave us himself. It's another thing that Jesus gives us the church to walk with us and walk with one another in some of the most difficult days. So it's reassuring because we have a perfect father. We have a perfect Holy Spirit. We have a perfect redeemer and savior. But here's the last part of that. The prophecy is perfect in its promise. 
Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We see that there is perfection in the promise that he is indeed coming back. When he came the first time, only a handful of shepherds saw him. But when he comes again, his coming will be seen. Every eye will see him. And when he comes again, he will come with sorrow because all those who are separated from him are going to wail and fear because of their rejection of him. And he is going to come in strength because he is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty One. And there will be no one or nothing that can stop his fulfillment of his word. It is as certain as you're sitting here today. So what do we do? What's the goal of this whole study? Let me give you just three things. It's not in any of your notes. But these three things, the book of Revelation should drive you and me to worship Jesus. If you and I are reading the book of Revelation and it doesn't drive us to worship him, we're missing the focus of the book. It's all about Christ. And as we read and we unpack this book, we see the magnificent beauty and the glorified Christ before us. It should drive us to worship him. My goal is that as we go on this journey together, we would see the Lord Jesus like we've never seen him before. But it should also drive us to walk with him. You see, it's one thing to hear the truths of this book. It's another thing for us to believe and obey them. And it is a call for us to walk with the Lord Jesus. No matter how difficult life gets, no matter what the struggles and the, 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 the pain may be, we keep walking. And the last thing is we work until he comes. There should be in us an urgency of the gospel. There should be in us an urgency of telling more and more people about Jesus who will free them of their sins and give them a relationship with him that they've never known. If I read the book of Revelation and there's no urgency to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, I am missing the heart of this book. It should drive me to love others enough to tell them about Christ. So for believers, here's the goal, is that you will grow in your worship of him, that you will grow deeper in your walk of him, and you will make a commitment to work until he comes. I want to invite you on this journey together as we go here. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a child of God, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ and this is the first time you've ever come to Scotts Hill, you're thinking, wow, what is this? Let me tell you what this is. Jesus loves you so much that he died for you. He loves you so much that he took your place. 
He loves you so much that he's forgiven you of all the broken things of your life. He loves you so much that he stands before you today and he invites you to be his. This is an invitation. It's not something to be afraid of. It's something to embrace. And believers, we're not to be afraid when we get to the book of Revelation, but it should be one filled with joy. And here's why. Because one day, one day, every child of God is going to stand in the glories and we're going to sing together with the saints. And we're going to be at the wedding feast of the Lamb, as we'll look later in the book of Revelation. And we will celebrate together for all of eternity. We look forward to that day. But I want to tell you, God has given us a means of doing that today. We don't wait to heaven to worship. We worship now. We don't wait to heaven to fellowship. We fellowship now. We love one another now. We walk with one another now. And my call is that you and I would get into the fight. And we would stay into the fight. That we would become a threat to the gates of hell. And no matter what comes our way, we are immovable in the gospel and the promise of who Jesus is. Would you stand together? Stand together. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. They're going to close us out with a song that you don't know. (laughs) But a song to invite you to join in. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you today, right now, surrender to him. Call on him. I'll be down here at the end if you want to talk to me. But hey, how do I give my life to Christ? How do I surrender to him? I'll be glad to meet with you and talk with you about that. But let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Father, for the reality of heaven even now. And Father, we know as children of God what awaits us. And we ask, Father, that you would prepare our hearts even now for what we will see and experience in eternity. And I pray in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. If you were encouraged by this message and you now have a desire to follow Christ or you just want to learn more about our church, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you were blessed by this message, I encourage you to share it with your friends and family on social media. God bless.